Hi friends, Pastor Corey here, and I want to wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day. And in honor of Good Patrick, I want to read to you from a chapter of Rick Riley, or excuse me, Robert Riley's book, Irish Saints. This is chapter one, uh, titled St. Patrick. And uh, you might find this book available on Amazon or at other fine booksellers. Uh, we posted the picture on our YouTube account, but the author is Robert Riley, and the title is Irish Saints. Chapter 1, St. Patrick. 418 A.D. to 493 A.D. Question mark. I arise today through the strength of heaven. At the beginning of the 5th century, the hopes for Christianity in Ireland rested upon the slim shoulders of a 16-year-old slave. His name was Sukkot, and for six years he tended the herds of Milko on the barren slopes of Slemish Mountain in Antrim. Across the North Channel, the boy could see and discern the cliffs of distant Scotland. It was then that the memory of the pirate raid would rise fresh within him. He had been amusing himself at his father's country villa in Wales enjoying the harmless, idle existence of a magistrate's son. His father, Calpurnius, was a Roman decurion, and the family was Christian. In those years, the barbarian hordes were pressing towards Rome, and soon the outlying provinces would be abandoned. Now, however, life was easy and pleasant for Sukkot. All of that changed when Niall of the Nine Hostages Ardri, or High King of Ireland, swept up from the sea with his warriors. The village was despoiled and Sukkot captured. This boy, later to be known as Patrick, apostle to Ireland, was purchased by Milko, a local chieftain in northeast Ireland, and sent to herd sheep and swine on Slemish. He climbed the bare basalt heights in crude leather sandals laced with thongs. A sheepskin tunic fell to his knees, and his head was clean-shaven as a mark of servitude. His cruel master beat and cursed him and fed him with the animals. Even the elements tormented him as snow and hail and rain and wind cut through his ragged garments. Yet he survived, and he found on Slemish in suffering and solitude, the God undiscovered in his former luxury. He learned to pray, and he learned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In his loneliness, he pledged his life to the ser service of his Creator. One night, his eyes weary from the watch and his nostrils full of the sea's luring scent, Patrick dozed upon the hillside, and a voice came to him in a dream, saying, You have fasted well, and soon will go to your own country. Encouraged, the young man, for he was now twenty-two, persevered. He was rewarded a short time later when the same voice directed him to leave. Behold, it advised him, your ship is ready. Trusting the vision, Patrick set out on a 200-mile journey down the alien coast, arriving exhausted but unmolested at a seaport where a large vessel awaited the tide. 
Its cargo was wolfhounds, bred in Ireland for the continent's noblemen. The crew was as savage as the hounds. Patrick begged for passage, but the rough captain, rough captain surveyed the ragged, penniless runaway and declared, You shall by no means come with us. Turning his back on freedom, Patrick plodded inland. Was it to end like this? Had the vision mocked him? One of the sailors called to him. Come quickly, he ordered. We'll take you on, good, good faith. You can pay us when you're able. And so Patrick embarked upon a new slavery as a Christian among pagans. After three days, they landed somewhere in Britain, but found only desolation. During a month's journey, they saw no other living person. Hunger stalked them, threatening the enterprise and their very lives. The merchant captain taunted Patrick. Christian, do you not say that your God is great and all-powerful? Why then can you not pray for us? since we are in danger of starving. Nothing is impossible for God, replied Patrick. He possesses possesses everything in abundance. At these words, a herd of swine crossed their path, and the men fell upon them and slaughtered them. Refreshed, they led the dogs south. After a few weeks, however, Patrick escaped and returned to his family. Nearly twenty years passed during which the boy, Sakat, becomes Patrick, the missionary. How he spent each year is uncertain, but he may have visited monasteries and hermitages hermitages in Europe. Other scholars, basing their case on Patrick's Latin usage, contend that he studied exclusively in Britain, specifically Wales. His scattered seminary days were evidently happy ones, and he became well-versed in scripture, administration, and techniques of construction. The simplicity, fervor, and endurance which were the legacy of Slemish were now augmented by the virtues of wisdom and conviction. During these long years he dreamed continually of Ireland. In a vision he received letters from an angelic courier, in one of which he read the words, The Voice of the Irish. As he stared at the letter, he seemed to hear the cries of these pagan people beckoning him. We entreat thee, holy youth, to come and walk once more among us. His mission mission seemed clear. Ireland was to be his apostolate. But between that resolve and its fulfillment lay many obstacles and disappointments. His family objected, and his superiors questioned his ability in the face of certain danger. His best friend turned against him and denounced him as unworthy of the assignment because of a youthful sin which Patrick had once confided to him. Christian missionaries were not unknown in Ireland. Current scholarship places Palladius in Ireland about the time of Patrick's escape. For perhaps a decade, this earlier apostle, armed with authorization from Rome, worked with moderate success within a limited southern section of the island. He left or was forced out of the country and died, perhaps in Scotland. It is likely that the companions of Palladius, whose work is virtually lost to history, continued the mission into Patrick's time. Unlike that of Palladius, Patrick's mission seems to have been a British mission, 
Perhaps a synod of British bishops dispatched him in answer to his repeated requests for the assignment. If that were so, he would be about 40 when he set sail for Ireland. His initial route in the missionary territory is uncertain, but legend gives us one course course which possesses drama, if not accuracy. Touching first at Wicklow, Patrick was driven out as Palladius had been before him. He steered north along the coast, skirting Dublin and Royal Meath. By passing the sandy bays and rocky headlands of Luth and past Dundalk Bay and the bulky hill of Slieve Dunard, arriving finally at Strangford Loch. Though the foaming strait joining the lake to the sea, he threw the foaming strait joining the lake to the sea, he piloted the small craft, gliding past tiny islands and green woodland. He beached the boat in the shadow of the misty mountains of Morn and climbed toward a rude barn where he celebrated mass. Here Patrick was discovered by a shepherd of Deku, a local chieftain who raced to the scene with his warriors. Instead of finding raiders, he encountered Patrick and fell under his spell. He became the missionary's first convert and deeded him the land and barn for a church. This place is now called Saul, from Sabhal Patrick, the barn of Patrick. Through the winter, the small band shared the hospitality of Deku, but hardly had snow begun to melt in the hills before Patrick left for Tara. It was there the high king lived, and Patrick wanted his official sanction. This procession arrived at Tara on Easter Sunday, as has been related. Patrick, arrayed in white and carrying his staff and as a crozier, led them into King Larry's court, where it had been decreed no man should show him any honor. When Patrick marched between the rows of shields, however, many warriors could not refrain from bowing. The Ard Ree never accepted Christianity, but he gave Patrick permission to preach and baptize. Within King Leary's court, many converts were made. This was the beginning of an incredible record of missionary activity. Patrick roamed Ireland, baptizing thousands. Some accounts say hundreds of thousands. He erected hundreds of churches or places of worship, ordained more than 3,000 priests, and since every clan wanted its own bishop, he consecrated no less than 370 prelates. When one considers that he entered a strange land with few native allies, confronted with a highly organized pagan culture and burdened with increasing age, his success is all the more startling. And he accomplished this all without bloodshed. He marched across the land with an an efficient, self-sufficient entourage composed of priests, judges, a bodyguard, a psalmist, cooks, various tradesmen and artisans, seminarians, and other useful retainers. They were capable of building a church from the ground up. Usually the sites of Patrick's principal churches reflected his knowledge of the political complexion of the land, for he located them in the territories of strong kings and princes. Through Connaught he moved, baptizing Ethna and Fidelma, daughters of the king. One touching story has these two young girls receiving the Holy Eucharist and then dying of their desire to see Christ. Then back to Meath and through Leinster, where the crowds from Dublin 
rushed out to hear him preach. South, next to Munster, where at Royal Cashel, sometime in the 480s, King Angus was received into the faith. At the baptism of Angus, Patrick, striking the ground with his pointed staff, accidentally drove it through the foot of the king. Uncomplaining, Angus suffered through the rite. When the apologetic saint asked why he had not called out, Angus replied, I thought it was part of the ceremony. Not all of Patrick's attempts were successful. Early in his missionary life, he traveled to Slamish to bring the Christian faith to his former tormentor, Milko. This pagan, fearing Patrick's power and the, and the shame of being converted by his former slave, set fire to his home and died in the blaze. Like Christ over Jerusalem, tradition tells us, Patrick stood above the ashes and wept. There were dangers in his mission. Hunger, thirst, perils of land and sea voyages, weariness. Sometimes his brethren turned on him or his foes made attempts on his life. His brave charioteer once took a spear thrust meant for Patrick. Mostly, though, Patrick's life consisted of prayer and work and then more prayer and more work. Rarely was he free from contemplation. Once he spent the 40 days of Lent upon, upon Croagpatricus, a symmetrical cone of white quartzite which rises above Clue Bay. Here he fasted alone and prayed. An angel came to confer with him. From this heavenly messenger, Patrick extracted, it is said, promises that the Irish would hold fast to the faith until the, time, until the end of time, that a tidal wave would inundate the island seven years before the last judgment thus sparing his people the frightful spectacle that no enemy would ever hold Ireland by force or consent while Patrick was in heaven, and that every Irishman doing penance, even in the last hour, would not be doomed to hell on the last day. On one point, it is said, the angel demurred. The saint requested on the day of doom, I myself shall be the judge of the men of Aaron. When the angel rendered the opinion that this promise could not be had from God, Patrick threatened to remain on the mountain until his wish was granted. After a hurried round trip to heaven, the story goes, the angel returned and explained that after a long discussion in which Patrick was praised for every virtue except his obstinacy, God had finally acceded to his request. All the men of Aaron, living or dead, announced the angel, shall be blessed and consecrated to God through thee. To this day, Krog Patrick remains a place of special pilgrimage among the many sites connected with the missionary saint. Toward the end of his life, Patrick established himself at Armagh, two miles from the legendary fortress of Emain Maka. His cathedral was of stone and much larger than the small basilicas which served him elsewhere. A school and a monastery followed, and other schools grew up around the site. Within two centuries, it became one of the great universities of the civilized world. Some of Patrick's personal writings have come down to us, and other canons, proverbs, and poems are ascribed to his pen. In the famed epistle to Horaticus, we see a saint inflamed with righteous anger. This scorching letter was directed against a British prince who had raided Ireland and carried off some of Patrick's converts as slaves. Is it a crime to be born in Ireland, wrote Patrick. 
Have we not the same God as you? He denounces the raiders as rebels against Christ and asks, What manner of hope in God have you or any who cooperate with you? God will judge. More famous, of course, is St. Patrick's autobiographical work, The Confession, written to defend himself against some unfair criticism. It contains a digest of his early life and trials, the record of his mission in Ireland, the sampling of his prayers and philosophy. Throughout, his character stands forth, beginning with these humble opening lines. I, Patrick, a sinner, the most rustic and least of all the faithful, and in the estimation of many, deemed contemptible. And concluding, But I pray for those who believe and fear God, whoever will have deigned to look upon his writing, which Patrick the sinner, and unlearned, no doubt, wrote in Ireland, that no one shall ever say it was my ignorance through which I have done God's will. But think, and let it be most firmly believed, that it was the gift of God. And this is my confession before I die. Death was not far away for Patrick. His last years were spent as his early years, building, baptizing, ordaining. The responsibility for the Irish mission demanded most of his energy. He must have traveled less, headquartering principally at Armagh. It was here he wished to die. God's plans, however, were different. One of his chroniclers tells us that Patrick, having a premonition of death, was hastening back to Armagh from a tour through the province when an angel halted him and told him to return to Saul, where he had built his first church and made his first converts. Sadly, but obediently, he turned back to the shores of Strangford Loch, and there he died on March 17, 493. Several communities contended for the honor of burial. Legend has it that the arguments were settled by placing the corpse wrapped in its shroud upon a, a cart drawn by two white oxen. The beasts were given their heads and they wandered southwest a few miles to Downpatrick. It is here St. Patrick's remains are said to lie, along with, so tradition tells us, the bones of Brigade and Column Seal. This hallowed spot in the churchyard adjoining Downpatrick Cathedral is identified by a large granite boulder which is marked with a cross and simply inscribed Patrick. Very little is certain regarding Patrick's mission and scholars have speculated extensively. Chief among the areas of dispute are the troublesome dates. One has to ignore the legends of the snakes and the shamrocks to find the courageous visionary with a practical energy who ex exiled himself from his homeland to transform a whole people into a Christian nation. History verifies the presence of other missionaries in Ireland at somewhat earlier date, but in the hearts of the Irish, Patrick's, Patrick will always be first, just as they were first in his heart. May God never permit it to happen to me, he once prayed. 
that I should lose his people, which he purchased in the utmost parts of the world. That's chapter one of Irish Saints by Robert Riley. You know, Patrick was a humble, visionary leader, courageous, guided by the love of Christ to love those who were once his enemies. But God used this humble, courageous, visionary servant uh, to, to witness to a whole land. And it's an example of a life surrendered and yielded to God and God's glory. It's an example of how God can enter darkness through the faith of a person and then a team of people who come together to change a, a place greatly. You know, before Patrick got there, there was no written language, no monasteries, no real physical lasting churches or schools to speak of. Within a hundred years of Patrick's life, there was thousands of churches, schools, universities, a written language, and really some of the best scholarship in, in all of Europe. It's amazing to see what God can do and how God can change enemies into family or friends. So I wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day, and may we tell the real story that I think is much more interesting than the legends. A story of, of a man once a slave who came to love his slave owners, even weeping over the death of his, his former owner. A man who was used by God to, to serve others, to bless others, to help others learn, to help others learn to read and write, to help others learn about the love of Christ. Happy St. Patrick's Day.